You're listening to the Irish Spark Podcast, where we aim to bring you a progressive worker's perspective through interviews, conversations and readings. For this episode, we interview the communications officer for Manley Trade Union, David Gibney, on the Right to Water campaign. Not only was this the largest campaign in the history of the Irish state, but it managed to stop the privatisation of the world's most profitable commodity. We hope you stick around and enjoy the show. How's it going, Dave? We're here driving on a road trip. Would you like to introduce yourself, please? David Gibney from Mandate Trade Union, Communications Officer. You were heavily involved in the Right to Water campaign. Can you give us a brief overview on that particular campaign? Okay, uh, well, from Mandate's perspective, in April 2014, we had our biennial delegate conference where our members determined policy. And what happened at that was one of the local councils put forward a motion calling on the union to instigate a campaign against water charges. The motion was unanimously passed by members. Uh, it was about 300 shop stewards at that meeting. And so later on that year, in June of that year, we attended a meeting hosted by Richard Boyd Barrett from People Before Profit, but also in attendance were Sinn Féin, Unite, what is now the Independence for Change group and a few other people that were present, other political parties Solidarity, so at that meeting there's a lot of tension to be perfectly honest at the meeting about what type of campaign we should have we were more in favour of holding a not an anti-water charges campaign because at that time, 2014 people I think had become exhausted with anti this and anti that, so we wanted to be in favour of something, so we wanted a, a campaign about water being a human right and everybody should have access to water that's free at the point of use but paid for through general taxation so because of the tensions and nothing being agreed on the day it was requested that the unions would go off mandate and unite and and develop a campaign plan so we did that and we reconvened about two weeks later with a, a campaign plan about developing a website having a a petition that where we could gather email addresses of sympathetic supporters and from that then we, we launched in August 2014, about 70,000 people signed the petition, so we had a huge database now to work with ahead of any of the upcoming demonstrations. Our first demonstration was October the 11th, 2014, and the whole point of that petition and the harnessing of, of database was we knew that the national media was not going to be sympathetic to us. A deal had already been done with, within government and within the EU on in terms of bringing in domestic water charges. So you know we were going to be up against it. So we needed to develop communications techniques, techniques that could cut out the middleman of the media. So now we have that database of 70,000 people. We send out an email advertising the fact that we're going to be having our first national demonstration against water charges on the 11th of October. We expected between 10 and 15,000 people. The Gardaí told us they expected 10, between 10 to 15,000 people. And then on the day, we had well over 100,000 people turn up. So we were a bit panicked and a bit shocked. I remember at the side of the stage, the Gardaí ringing me, asking had we lost control of the demo because it had initially been meant to just go from Parnell Square down around Westmoreland Street, Dalier Street and back up to the GPO, a short demonstration. But because of the length of it, they had to, the Gardaí had to extend the demo and bring it for 5.3 kilometres front to back and took everybody, I think, by surprise. 
none more so than us but we had began a i suppose a platform for a, a major national campaign against domestic water charges so in terms of developing the strategy further we had as as i said developed a petition system so that we could get email addresses that we could communicate with people the next step after having the national demonstration which was the intention was to, to raise awareness that there was an opposition to water charges and raise profile for that issue and also to give people a bit of confidence that they can come out and demonstrate against these types of austerity measures so the next step we had planned was local demonstration that we'd already planned this in advance of that demonstration and the reason we wanted to do this was from the union's perspective the fragmented left was still seen by us as a, an obstacle to winning this campaign so what we did was we asked all of the political parties and trade unions to cooperate and work together and host local demonstrations on November 1st which worked very successfully we had 106 separate demonstrations in almost in every town and village in the country where we would only advertise the demonstrations where two or more parties were working together so if for instance mandate trade union was having a demo and it was going to take place in say swords we wouldn't advertise that on the website we would only advertise it if mandate was working in cooperation with solidarity or Sinn Féin or one of the other groups and then that would go up on the website and this was our way of trying to ensure that parties in particular the parties but also trade unions and community groups were operating together in order to drive numbers to the demo and to raise awareness locally and put pressure on the local TDs particularly those in government Labour Party and Fine Gael as I said 106 separate demonstrations took place we estimate that there was close to 200,000 people on the streets those days I remember my own town um, Clare Daly organised the, the demo in Swords and Swords had never had a demonstration I grew up born and bred in Swords there had never been a demonstration of any type that I can remember and 5,000 people turned up which was incredible the whole of the main street of Swords was completely from front to back was completely covered with people so we knew that there was something special happening on this issue in particular where you're able to get 5,000 people from a small town in North County Dublin to turn out while there's at the same time there was a, a big demonstration in Dublin city centre and demonstrations in even Vincent Brown I think it was who said it the next day that you know something strange is happening when there's demonstrations in Donnybrook so that's how big the campaign started off and then for the third demonstration that year we went with the International Day for Human Rights which was the 10th of December which just happened to be a Wednesday and of course during all of this these protests the right to water demos we had the government we had Michael Noonan coming out on the 1st of November saying oh they've had their last day out people under trying to undermine the demonstrations and saying that they weren't as significant as they were and other people saying oh well you know you're going to get the numbers out on a Saturday aren't you so we decided we were going to have the next demo on a Wednesday just to prove them wrong so 10th of December International Human Rights Day we flew over five representatives from the Detroit Water Brigade where some of them were having their water shut off some of them were having their kids taken off them because once your water has been shut off over in Detroit after 48 hours any dependence including you know older people people with disabilities children can be taken off you by the state if you don't have running access to running water in your house so what tends to happen at peace makita was telling us one of the stories that when her water was shut off she had to go across people's back gardens and get hose pipes from neighbors because there was a, a woman who lived across the road who worked for the state and she was afraid that she'd see 
at Peace Makita going in and collecting water from any of the neighbours in a bucket so she had to do it through back gardens covertly when it got dark such was the fear that she'd lose her children if people found out that her water had been shut off on top of that we had one of the other representatives from the Detroit Water Brigade um, telling us about how his grandparents had lost their home as a result of having their water shut off for 72 hours so after 72 hours your house becomes condemnable so these guys came on a, a roadshow tour around the country we spoke at communities community centres and in pubs and different places got very little media coverage but they told a real story of what happens when you go down the route of bringing in domestic water charges which is an extreme case and that's what the media were saying to us at the time you're using the worst case scenario but when we went to visit some other water groups across Europe a bit of a shock to us that we heard of the Super Mario Brothers in Rome who go around dressed as Super Mario covertly putting people's water back on after they've been shut off because it's illegal obviously to switch someone's water back on so they have to you know put on disguises in France it, while it's unconstitutional to switch people's water off currently now today and in the last five four to five years people have had their water shut off for being unable to pay bills all across Eastern Europe people are having their water shut off and it's almost a conspiracy of silence from the media particularly here in Ireland to talk about these issues it's all you know oh, this will never happen in Ireland ignoring the fact that our own minister at the time Phil Hogan when he was preparing his plans for water charges said openly we will be turning people's water down to a trickle if they can't afford to pay now we knew that was ahead of Irish people if the domestic water charges plan that, that the government were actively trying to engage in occurred it wasn't scaremongering from us as far as we're concerned it might not be in two years time or in 10 years time but in 40 to 50 years time if you turn water something like water into a commodity and families are unable to pay for that commodity there's going to be a repercussion and that repercussion is always going to end up eventually being switching somebody's water off that's incredible. I mean, you see the success of those campaigns and how many people turned out for it and what eventually happened, which was we got rid of water charges across Ireland. Most of the people on the last general election were elected on the mandate of getting rid of the water bill. So where are we now today with Right to Water? Well, the interesting thing is when the big demonstrations were taking place in 2014, the government who had initially planned on bringing in an average household water bill of €700 Euros per household at a using an end user charge they revised their plans in November 2014 to try after the second set of demonstrations to try and appease people they said they were listening to the concerns that people had and they were going to bring in a flat rate charge of 260 euros per household that's why the 10th of December demonstration was so important because the government felt that they'd done enough they were saying look it's going to cost you about three four euros per week bringing this plan uh, initially but people weren't sold by it people saw through it that once you start paying for it once you bring in a like like the bin charges once once they get it across the line and it becomes accepted then eventually increase the price of the water bill so the demonstration on the 10th of December was massive there was about 70 80,000 people on a you know midweek middle of December lashing rain out and we all got soaked we were all freezing but still 70 to 80,000 people came up so many people turned up actually that the Gardaí turned away and other groups had to turn away people because there was a bit of a crush at the front of the stage but we got the 260 euro cap and then we decided the unions decided anyway that they were going to continue funding the campaign and the until the next general election so the general election was at the start of 2016 
And as you mentioned, two thirds of all candidates that ran or that were elected were elected on a platform of opposing water charges. But Fine Gael weren't, in fact, the Labour Party who were, you know, in the position of being the Alan Kelly being the minister for with responsibility for water services. Their party lost 80 percent of their seats in, in one election. And again, Labour Party and Fine Gael, both of them, still have the same plan. They can't listen to the public. You know, this is there was a poll done by MRBI and the Irish Times that said that more than two thirds of the population didn't want domestic water charges. They wanted to pay for water through how we'd always done it through general taxation, which is progressive and fair. So you pay according to the income you have and the wealth that you have. I've had water charges being instigated in the way that the government originally planned. Immediately, a large proportion of mandate members would have entered into water poverty. Water poverty is where you spend more than 3% of your income on your water bill. In the UK currently now, who brought in water charges back in 1989 under Thatcher, they privatised the water system over there that year as well. But since then, water has gone up in price twice the level of inflation, twice the level of the retail price index. So it's now led to a, a situation where 25% of all people in the UK are now living in water poverty and they face extortionate bills, as you can imagine. £80 on average per household in the UK, £80 is being spent in servicing debt for those water companies that they've engaged in. Never mind paying for the actual bills and the water infrastructure, but £80, one quarter of everything that's spent on a water bill in the UK is going directly to the financial services sector. And that's what's really important to remember because the Detroit water system is not privately owned. It's publicly owned. But because of the way they run it, where the state borrows and borrows and borrows again to upgrade the infrastructure, now 46% of everything that's spent on water, on your water bill in Detroit, goes directly to the financial services sector on servicing debt on interest payments. So this is what the scam is about. It's never been about water charges. It's about the commodification and the financialization of not just a, a resource, but the most essential resource for keeping people alive, water. What they're planning now is to bring in excessive usage charges on people who use too much water. This absurd and ridiculous situation ignores all of the facts that were presented to the government by their own expert water panel, who agreed with Right right to Water on this issue, that the spending that has to occur on water implementing domestic water charges far outweighs what you can get in return from it. So, for instance, in one year, Irish Water spent €3 million on advertising, one million of which went to RTE, two million went to other stations and other uh, media outlets. They spent €6 million on postage costs, writing letters to people across the country. We got freedom of information requests on most of these. They spent €81,000 per week one third of the states on legal bills which is one third of the entire state's legal bills was going on to Irish water they spent 36 million euros on a call centre down in Cork which was to increase to 47 million over a short period of time they were engaging in debt collectors they have spent they've just spent a fortune on all sorts of things that have nothing to do with our water infrastructure the metering system alone cost over 500 million euros so here we are spending about a billion euros and with ongoing costs by the way because once you install a water meter it's not just installed for life they have to be serviced maintained administered they have to be replaced with an estimated cost by Fianna Fáil 
of all people of 60 million euros per year so these are all the ongoing costs for bringing in water water charges and the Irish government under their new plan is expected to get a return of 8 million euros per year for bringing in excessive usage charges so they're going to spend about 100 million a year to get a return of 8 million it's any economist out there or anyone worth their salt even as a running their household budget will know you don't spend 100 million euros to try and get a return of 8 million what you should do and we've been saying this from the start and it's a pity they don't listen to us is fix the pipes that are broken 60% of all water that gets purified in Ireland 60% of it is lost before it gets to the taps spending a billion euros which by the way is four times the amount that we're spending on water services every year anyway but spending a billion to bring in a water metering system is just crazy it's it's a waste of taxpayers money it's a logical especially when we have a housing and a, a healthcare crisis that they're prepared to keep on wasting this money and then making the argument that this is all about conservation it's nothing to do with conservation the again the expert water panel that the government engaged themselves said that irish consumers water consumers i don't like using the term consumers but irish water users use 25 percent less water than those in similar climates like the uk to ireland so uk people uk households use 25 percent more water than the irish population does and yet Irish people have, in terms of a natural asset, Irish people have it's five times more water availability to, for us than UK users have. So we have more water available to us, we use less water, and we're being told that we have to pay for our water charges. See, the really frustrating thing is, and it's being discussed in the Dáil this week, is water abstraction charges again a report from the expert water panel that report stated that Ireland needs to bring in an abstraction water abstraction charges Ballygown for instance in Ireland don't pay a single penny for the water that they extract from our natural resources and this comes down to the crux of it water households only use 10% of our water corporations and agriculture use 90% but under the government's plan of bringing in domestic water charges the government wanted households to pay 80% of water of the water bills and let corporations only pay 20% so great deal for businesses they use 90% of the water and only pay 20% of the costs but in terms of abstraction charges the likes of Britvic who own Ballygown pay nothing and don't have any limits on the amount of water that they can take out of the ground so again you know bringing in this excessive usage charges on households who use abnormally large amounts of water is just a nonsense it's a waste of money what they should be doing is going around and figuring out why those households are using a lot more water than anybody else which can be done through district metering to find out if there's leaks in the area because again the government's own reports are saying that there is no household in Ireland that's overusing water the problem is that on those households where there's a lot being wasted it's happening through leakages in the pipes we have privatization in the UK as you said since 1989 and you were talking a little bit about the debt that the consumer has to pay can you go into that a little bit more just to explain to people how this was nearly this is what we nearly had in Ireland yeah so um there's 19 separate water companies in the UK. Some of the biggest would be Thames Water, Severn Trent or Northumbrian Water. And just to elaborate on that debt issue, which is a key 
a major issue. There's a, a man called Lee Cashin. He's from Hong Kong. He's one of the richest men on the planet. He was at one stage the ninth richest man on the planet. He owns Northumbrian Water, but he also owns a bank in the Cayman Islands. And the way they have the system constructed is Lee Cashin, his company Northumbrian Water, borrows from his other bank in the Cayman Islands at an interest rate of 11%. So he's making money then off obviously the interest payments and what Lee Cashing did that year when he borrowed that amount of money, borrowed about 250 million euros or pounds and what he did was he paid himself a dividend of all that money that he had just borrowed from Northumbrian Water. Now Northumbrian Water didn't make that amount of profit that year so he borrowed in order to pay himself a dividend and then pass on the costs to the consumers of Northumbrian Water. This is happening with seven water companies in the UK at the moment where they're all doing similar. I mean, in one particular year, Thames Water made losses and still paid out dividends to its owner. It's really a big scam. And that's why now 33% of all water bills in the UK, 33% of everything that's spent on a water bill in the UK goes towards not only servicing debt, but servicing the interest on that debt as well. That doesn't factor in the costs of servicing meters or upgrading infrastructure or any of that sort of stuff. This is just money that goes into the financial services sector instead of going into upgrading pipes. And that's why we believe paying for it through general taxation, where every single penny that goes gets invested in the water infrastructure actually goes towards the, the water infrastructure. So that whole system and how Irish water was constructed was deliberately aligned. That's the plan. You cannot privatise a water system that doesn't have domestic metering in place. So in order to privatise anything, you need to have a sort of a gateway nearly for somebody to make money. And that's in every country, everywhere in Europe and in the world where they've privatised their water system. The first step was to bring in domestic metering. And what did Irish Water do in 2013? They invested hundreds of millions of euros in purchasing meters and sending around people in vans to install water meters. Now, the Irish government and everybody in Ireland will say, oh, this will never happen. We'll never privatize. We don't have any intention of privatizing. And they, even if you were to take them at face value and believe Fine Gael and believe Labour Party, who are not really known, as we all know, to, to make any lies in the run-up to an election anyway, but... Um, if they were true to their word and didn't want to privatise the water and this was purely about conservation, it doesn't matter. It didn't matter in Italy or it didn't matter in Portugal and it didn't matter in Greece. They privatised the water system anyway because the Troika came in. Like they came into Ireland, when the Troika came into Ireland they made a lot of different demands as a result of our incompetent politicians running the economy into the ground. and. You know, one of those demands was that we privatise Board Gosh, for instance, which happened on the 14th of December 2014, just four days after, I think it was, very close to the Right to Water demos anyway. But it was the day before the Troika left Ireland, they privatised Board Gosh. So when they say, you know, we, we've no intention of privatising water, it doesn't matter. The inevitability is coming of Ireland going into recession and of Ireland needing another bailout. And the terms and conditions of that bailout will be well, now that you've got your water meters in place, we want you to privatize your water system because currently water is, without any exception, the most profitable commodity on the planet. It is now in the UK alone three times more profitable water is than gas or oil. So they're coming for it. If you go onto Credit Suisse's website, it will say, you'll find pages that say, 
water is the most profitable asset on the planet. There's actually one really good quote from Credit Suisse, I believe it is, where they say, unlike oil, water, there is no alternative to water. So that's why they're coming after it. It's the, it's one, the one commodity where the demand is growing, as they say, by leaps and bounds. And unlike oil, there is no alternative. People need water to survive. So all of the elites all over the world are investing in water companies and buying up water companies in third world countries and in developed countries as well and prices are going so high in paris they increased water prices by 264 percent they increased it so much that in 2006 the parisian local government had to remunicipalize take it back into public ownership in veolia in berlin increased water prices so much that they had to again berlin I think it was 2015, the Berlin local government had to re-municipalize and take back into ownership its water infrastructure, but with a cost. Because they had given Veolia the contract until 2028, they had to pay out Veolia for all losses of earnings between 2015 and 2028. It cost them something like 300 million euros to bring it back into public ownership just so that they could keep the costs of water down. So at a time when everywhere else in Europe and around the world is trying to bring back into ownership their public water infrastructure, Ireland was trying to incentivize somebody to come in and buy ours, which says a lot about Ireland. Obviously water is a human right and we both know it should be in the Irish constitution. Will the vote be put to the people to decide whether or not water should be in the constitution of Ireland? Well, currently those discussions and negotiations are ongoing. We did, John Collins launched the Right to Water bill calling for a referendum and we provided specific wording about that referendum as well and what it should say. And we, crucially, and this is the really important part, we didn't just provide the wording, we provided the location upon which that particular wording should go where it should go in the constitution because there's different sections to the irish constitution there's like rights based sections and then there's local government management sections and the government wants to insert it into the rights based section which doesn't work because what will happen is you'll have a conflict between do i have the right to water or does my right to property of ownership of that water company trump that so it'll end up having to go to a high court sometime or supreme court for for a judge to make a ruling about whether who, who's right you know is is more important we wanted to go into the local government area within the constitution where the responsibility is on the government to manage and maintain and upgrade and ensure that everybody has water access to to water so there's a bit of a conflict about where it should go the bill that John Collins were put to the doll was passed unanimously. And since then, that was two and a half years ago now, since then the government has been flaffing around and pretending that they're working on the wording and keep promising they had originally planned, they said, of having the constitutional referendum take place on the 25th of March or 24th or 25th of, uh, or sorry, May of this year, in line with the local government elections and the European Parliament elections. But only this week we saw Owen Murphy saying that he hasn't had enough time, I mean two and a half years, hasn't had enough time to look at the wording. He knows that if he goes with the wording that he has prepared, it won't actually give us, it won't enshrine ownership of our water services in the constitution. What it will do is it'll put the, he wants to put the infrastructure of Irish water into the constitution which is an absurd proposal in my opinion, and this isn't right to water, this is me looking at the wording that Owen Murphy wanted. 
when you enshrine Irish water in the constitution, what it doesn't do is it doesn't prevent Irish water outsourcing its services. So while Irish water might own the pipe or all of the pipes, it could be Veolia that runs the water through those pipes. This is um, why it's, it's so difficult and problematic trying to get them to agree to our wording because our wording is ironclad. Our wording prevents the privatisation of any element of the water infrastructure and ensures that it's local government who must run that water service. The government's argument against it is that we have about 20%, 15 or 20% of people in Ireland who have, are using either private wells or on group water schemes. And the government are saying that, well, if you enshrine, if you use your wording in the constitution, it means we have to nationalise all of those you know, it, it, the responsibility is on government to run the water system, so we would technically have to nationalise all of those things. It's not true. That's not what the intention of our bill is. If people want to maintain their own water system, they're perfectly entitled to do it. But where people do want the government to provide them with access to, to clean, safe drinking water, then the government should have to step in and do it. So... Yeah, at the moment, it's all up in the air. The government is trying to water down the bill, pardon the pun, they're trying to water down the referendum. We're trying to ensure that it stays solid. What's in our favour is that the government is currently negotiating with the Irish water workers or local council workers on their terms and conditions of employment and the ongoing nature of their, their work. And if those workers, who are all represented by other unions, stick to their guns and demand that they're... The, the body that they work for is never privatised and back the right to water wording on the referendum then we're in a very very strong position of, about winning this referendum and enshrining water in the Irish constitution and preventing any privatisation whatsoever on an ongoing basis The benefit of hindsight is obviously great, if you were to go back and do it all again, what would you do differently for the right to water campaign? Um. It's a very good question. There's a lot of things I would do differently. But, I mean, one has to remember that there were five unions involved in the Right to Water campaign. Started off, first of all, with Mandate and Unite. Then the CWU came on board, Patsy came on board, and the CPSU came on board. Uh, CPSU don't exist anymore. They merged in with Forza. So, and then the TWU came on board in the last couple of months. So it ended up being six unions however there was never really any funding or no major resources that went into it it was very minuscule amount of funding and a handful of individuals who were pushing the campaign if i was to do it again i would be arguing with the existing unions who were within the tent but also the unions who weren't in the tent to try and bring more people inside the tent and join the campaign and try and get enough funding and resources that it would have been a more sustainable campaign moving forward. I mean, what was achieved was achieved largely through volunteers and activists all across the country who mobilised, who blocked people from installing water meters, who were arrested and sent to prison in some instances. A largely effective boycott campaign of the bills and then a political plan. Had we had more resources to back all of this up, I think we could have done a lot more, we could have done it quicker, and we could have, you know, continued building after the 2016 election, could have continued building alliances that could have eventually led to 
the first left-wing government in the history of the Irish state. Unfortunately, resources weren't there. You're talking about a handful of small unions and then uh, a lot of political parties who value their own autonomy, which is entirely fine. That's, that's their prerogative. But unwilling to engage respectfully with each other and develop the campaign and trust each other so that we could bring these bring bring the power that was collectively you know enabled through the right to water campaign bring it into healthcare and housing and education and, and some of the other areas we designed the right to change platform to try to bring people together as well like the whole logic of it was if we can develop policies that everyone agrees on then we can make it less about personalities and political parties and trade unions and what each you know each of us stand for individually we can make it about you know we're doing this for the right to water the right to healthcare the right to housing if we can all agree on all of the, th- these things and policies on them then maybe we can work together to try and get those policies implemented there's a number of reasons why that all failed or has failed to date and that is lack of resources it's lack of engagement and and individual personalities as well across the spectrum who uh, protect their own space so there's a lot of other things I do differently but that resources is is one of the big ones it started off the whole anti-water charges campaign started off with communities in Cork and in North Dublin in particular mobilizing and trying to block water meters and very successfully um, communities coming together actually one of the most inspirational moments of the whole campaign was when we visited Cove with the Detroit Water Brigade in December 2014 and we were introduced to the different parts of the community there who were resisting the installation of water meters and it was run like a military operation they had there's two ways into Cove by road and by by boat and they had alert posts on both elements so they had a, a text group that that they were all involved in so whenever anyone saw an Irish water van or a van that looked suspiciously like a water Irish water van coming they would text everybody else everybody would come out of their houses and stand on their shores to make sure nobody nobody was able to install water meters but this was happening in Torah Cork and in, in North Dublin they're the people who started the water charges campaign and mobilized initially politicians and trade unions I suppose caught up later on and provided what we could and this is what was so good about I suppose the whole right to water campaign which was an umbrella campaign again pardon the pun but it was a campaign that in order to be associated with it all you needed to do was to believe that water was a human right and to object against water charges so we tried to spread the net as widely as possible so it didn't matter about tactics so people who wanted to block water meters perfectly legitimate they're they're welcome inside the campaign people who wanted to boycott the bills again perfectly welcome inside the campaign people who believed that the solution would be political perfectly welcome inside the campaign the truth is that the reason it was successful was that there were elements of all of those different tactics within the campaign at the same time and to a large degree people respected each other's opinions about what the solution should be or what tactics there should be so yeah i think credit has to go to communities who rose up against water charges held their own demonstrations before right to water came in and what we did as trade unionists was to try and facilitate as much of that activity and activism as possible through holding major national demonstrations bringing people together uh, and helping to fund it which was really what the unions did okay dave thanks very much for your time we'll go back to our lovely scenic drive through ireland and hopefully have a few drinks tonight all right talk to you
Thank you for listening to the Irish Spark Podcast. If you like the show, please give us a review on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening from. It really helps us out and helps the show to reach more people. If you'd like to get in touch, please send us an email at theirishspark at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Follow us on social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. The details are in the description. We hope to see you again in a couple of weeks for our next episode. Take care.